The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Well, today it is our privilege to have our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson, bring us the Word of God as he dives into Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 in a sermon he's entitled, The Work of Becoming Like Jesus. Let's join Lou now in his message to us. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Lou, and I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Rancho Baptist Church. And it's my privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning and open it up so that we can explore it together. A number of years back, when my son was a late teen, the trunk release on our car broke. And from the driver's seat of our Chevrolet, you could punch the trunk release button on there until the cows came home, and guess what? Nothing happened. Well, my son, who was also named Lou, had become remarkably adept at repairing all things automotive, and as he observed us futilely trying to open the trunk, he volunteered to fix it. And after getting the trunk opened, Lou removed the trunk release mechanism and began to carefully take it apart. And as he disassembled it, he also patiently explained to my watching wife, Karen, how each part of the mechanism actually interrelated. As Lou finished removing the last part, he announced to my wife that he now understood how the entire gadget worked, had figured out what was wrong, and could easily fix it, which... Indeed, he did, and we were very thankful for that. But the key to this repair effort, according to my son, was to understand how the mechanism actually worked. And you know, in some ways, the Christian life is somewhat like that, that broken hood release. At times, our spiritual lives can, can feel broken as well, and they can certainly seem kind of complex, And like my car's broken trunk release, it can be helpful to know know how some of the important pieces of the Christian life fit together. When we understand how these parts operate and interrelate, we have a much easier time putting them into practice and even seeing positive growth in our Christian lives when we do that. As Pastor Jason has begun preaching through the book of Acts, we have seen how our Lord brought forth his bride, the church, and how he began expanding and transforming the lives of those within that fledgling congregation. The believers in Christ that we saw scattered and cowering in fear at the end of Luke are now in the book of Acts. They're seeking the Lord together. They're they're filled with the Spirit, and they're powerfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Truly a significant transformation into the likeness of Christ had happened in a very short time. In theological terms, we call this transformation into Jesus' likeness. We call it sanctification. And though Luke helped his first century readers understand what happened in the book of Acts, 
he doesn't really expand that much on the, the nuts and bolts of how this sanctification process actually took place. And with this in view, Pastor Jason and I thought it would be a helpful kind of a sidebar to explore the scriptures and how sanctification actually works. After all, such an understanding will help us to more effectively participate and experience the sanctification transformation process. And thus the title of this morning's message is The Work of Becoming Like Jesus. There it is. And our scripture text for this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. But before we dive into the text, we must first consider some background information about the Philippian church to whom the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. The church in Philippi was founded by Paul, obviously, but also Silas, Timothy, and Luke in about 50 A.D. during Paul's second missionary journey. The very unique and painful circumstances that surrounded the founding of this church are found in Acts chapter 16, if you want to read a little further. Paul wrote this letter that we call Philippians about 10 years after the church was founded while he was in prison. And in this letter, Paul revealed his deep love for these folks, but also that there was some various serious problems lingering in this church. There was some some sinful conflict, and I'll talk more about this later on when we consider how to apply what we've learned this morning. If you haven't already done so, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and follow along as I read this passage aloud. The Apostle Paul said to his beloved friends in the Philippian church, he said, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, as we begin to unpack this brief passage together, I suspect that a number of you are thinking to yourself, "Uh, Pastor Lou, you said we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of sanctification this morning, but he doesn't even mention sanctification in these verses. And if you were thinking that, you were right, at least partially. You see, the sanctification word was indeed part of Paul's vocabulary, and he used it in a number of other places in his letters, but not here. In verse 12, he told his Philippian readers to work out their salvation. Now, this is particularly interesting because the Philippians that Paul was writing to here, they were already saved. Back in the very first verse of the epistle, Paul indicated that he was writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi. So these folks, they, they were already believers. And he must mean something different when he uses this word salvation. Not surprisingly, there are indeed three different aspects to every believer's salvation. 
You see, when we were initially, when we truly repented and trusted in Christ's death on the cross as payment for our sins, we were saved. In theological terms, we call this justification. And Paul's Philippian readers already had been justified. But in another sense, all of us believers are being saved. We were saved and we are being saved. You see, God is working out the salvation that he has already worked into us, transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And in theological terms, we call this sanctification. But we have not only have been saved or justified, we are being saved or be or sanctified, but someday we will be saved. And the Apostle Paul tells us that when we pass out of this life, actually it's the Apostle John, and see Jesus for the first time, that we will be like him in every single way. In theological terms, this is called glorification. So in summary, salvation encompasses justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, regarding the Philippian readers of Paul's letter, again, they were already believers, so their justification had already been accomplished. They weren't dead, so obviously their glorification hadn't happened yet either. And thus, in the context of this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul is clearly talking to his Philippian friends about their sanctification. So, what did he tell the Philippians about their sanctification? Well, first of all, in verse 12, we see that Paul talked to the Philippians about their work in sanctification. And in this verse, Paul lovingly but very bluntly tells them to work out their sanctification. And this phrase is, it's an imperative, it's a command, it is a, a direct call to action. You see, contrary to what some folks would like you to believe, true Christians have a very active role in the sanctification process. The idea that we sometimes hear of, of, you know, oh, you just need to quit striving and let God do the work. You know, just let go and let God. That's not biblical. As Christians, we have, we have an active part in the sanctification process. And we must step up to the plate and energetically participate in it. The Philippians and us as well are commanded to work hard in sanctification. But the particular form that Paul used here as he commanded the Philippian believers to participate in the sanctification process also indicates that this this participation was continuous. As a Christian, there is no such thing as a sanctification vacation. We are commanded to be working out our sanctification each and every day. 
So referring to your message outline, the Philippians' work in sanctification was both commanded and continuous. But there's another aspect of the Philippians' work in sanctification in that process that Paul also explained in verse 12. Notice in the first part of that verse that Paul says, Just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your sanctification. You see, again referring to your message outline, the Philippians' work in the sanctification process involved obedience to the Lord. And this obedience has a special, it's a special kind of submission that was modeled by our Lord Jesus himself. In fact, just a few verses earlier, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul commanded his Philippian friends this. He told them, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, there it is, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our work in sanctification involves humble obedience to his will. It means that like Jesus, we humble ourselves before the Lord and seek to obediently serve him. It means that like Jesus, we adopt the attitude of a slave, of a bond servant, humbly obeying our Lord out of reverence for him. And sometimes, like Jesus, this humble obedience, it leads to suffering. And despite that possible outcome, humble obedience is a critical part of the sanctification process. But our sanctifying obedience also has three other characteristics as well. Notice in verse 12 that this obedience needed to occur even when Paul was not personally watching. You see, obedience, when no one else is observing, reveals a right heart motivation in a person. And again, Jesus was the model of this sincere obedience regardless of consequences. Though he had plenty of opportunities to receive glory from men, which way did he choose? He chose the way of the suffering servant. And in obedience to the Father, Jesus walked a path that brought scorn and condemnation from men, along with humiliation and suffering. And sanctifying obedience rejects pleasing men and embraces seeking to obey and please our Lord, even when others are not watching. A second aspect of this sanctifying obedience to our Lord is that it was empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. When we walk through our lives depending on our own strength, we produce what the Apostle Paul calls the deeds of the flesh, which are the exact opposite of what's produced by sanctifying obedience. 
Because of this, Paul exhorted the, the Christians in the Galatian churches. He said this. He said, walk by the Spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. You won't manifest those at all. You see, when we live our lives in, in communion, in submission, and in confident trust of the Holy Spirit, which is the meaning of what it means to walk by the Spirit, we won't live to please ourselves. Instead, we will live in a Spirit-empowered, sanctified obedience to our Lord and produce the fruits of the Spirit, which are love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The last feature of this sanctifying obedience is that it is always directed and informed by God's Word. As Jesus was praying for His disciples right before His death, notice what He asks His Heavenly Father in John chapter 17, verse 17. He prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, sanctify them in Your truth. Your Word is truth. You see, sanctification is always bound together with the truth of God's Word. Unless we know what our Lord desires us, we have no idea even what to obey. God's Word reveals His will for us. And God's Word is also the sword of the Spirit, which the Holy Spirit uses to convict us of sin and to purify us. There's one last aspect of the Philippians' work in sanctification in that process that Paul brings out in verse 12. Notice that at the end of this verse, he comments that their work in the sanctification process was to be carried out with fear and trembling. Now, to understand what this phrase means, it's important to remember the immediate context of this verse. And accordingly, we must again consider the example of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. You see, in reverence to the Father, whom he had enjoyed loving fellowship with for all eternity, Jesus voluntarily died to save his people from hell. And thus, Jesus' fear and trembling was motivated not by abject fear of the abject terror of his father, but was nurtured in the context of an eternal loving relationship with him. Similarly, our sanctification does not arise out of terror of our Lord. The attitude of fear and trembling in sanctifying obedience is reverent awe that flows out of a love relationship with our God. This reverent awe, it, it pours forth as a result of understanding and cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby our Lord demonstrated His vast love for us by giving His own Son to save our wretched souls. As we talked about in communion a couple of weeks ago, the Father made Him... Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might be saved and become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
referring to your message outline, the Philippians' work in sanctification involved reverent awe of the Lord arising out of a love relationship with Him. So in review, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, we've looked at the Philippians' work in sanctification. Now we'll move on to verse 13, and we'll look at God's work in sanctification. In this verse, Paul reminds his readers that it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And you see, even as the Philippians were involved in the sanctification process, God was also involved. And in this verse, we learn three important things about God's involvement in the Philippian sanctification. Referring to your message outline, the first thing that we learn is that God was continually working in the Philippians. It's not obvious in the English version, but Paul uses a word form here that makes it clear that God was always at work in the lives of the Philippians. And this is really good news, both for the Philippians and for us as well. You see, God doesn't just save us and then cut us loose to wander around aimlessly in our Christian lives. Jesus solemnly assured his disciples, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And not only did our Lord promise that he would be with them continually, but he also promised them that he would constantly be at work in their lives. In Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, the Apostle Paul reminded the Roman believers that those whom the Lord foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's sanctification right there so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, we can be utterly and completely assured that God will be continually walking with us through this life. And that he will transform us into the likeness of his son, eventually delivering us to glory. Now, the second thing we learn in this verse is information about how this sanctifying work that the Lord is continually doing actually works. And it's in our hearts that he works. Notice in verse 13 that the apostle assures his readers that God is continually at work in their wills. Now, the idea here is that God was constantly at work changing the Philippians' desires and their resolve. Now, the object of this change in desire and resolve is stated at the end of this verse, for God's good pleasure. In other words, Paul is assuring the Philippian believers that God was working in their desires and their resolve to do what pleased Him. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you knew what God wanted you to do, but you just didn't really want to do it? 
I have, I've been there, and I suspect that some of you have probably been there as well. Well, because of the promise of God's Word, we can be absolutely confident that God can and will work in us to change our wrong desires. And because of this promise, we should, we should really have no shame in going to our Lord, confessing our lack of desire to do what pleases Him. The fact that the Lord has committed to change these desires indicates that He already knows it. And knowing about it, He has committed to transforming our desires. This promise of God is good news on another level as well. You see, our issues with obedience are substantially tied into our desires and our resolve. When something is desirable to us, we will generally follow through on getting it. This last week, out of the kindness of their hearts, Christy and Jordan Henson brought some particularly yummy chocolate chip cookies into the office for the staff. And those of you at home, you missed it. And you know what? No one had to twist my arm to get me to eat a few of those things. Why? Because I really like a good chocolate chip cookie. And in much the same way, when the Lord transforms our desire such that doing His will becomes like eating yummy, yummy chocolate chip cookies, then we will very naturally and joyfully do what pleases Him. So referring to your message outlines, God's work in sanctification involves continually growing the Philippians' desire and resolve to do what pleased Him. Now the third thing we learn in this verse is another aspect of the sanctifying work that our Lord is continually doing. Look at verse 13 again and notice that God was not only continually working in the Philippians' desires and resolve, but He was also working in their actual doing of what pleased Him. God was at work changing both the Philippians' desires and their actions. And again, very, very good news. Referring to your message outline, God's work in sanctification involved continually growing the Philippians' actions in pleasing Him as well. Now, the only thing remaining is the application of these truths of what we have been looking at this morning. There could be other applications in this short passage, but I'd like to focus on four in particular. First, we must consider the specific application of this passage that Paul made to his Philippian readers. And to understand this application, we must first do a little bit of detective work to discern what was going on in this congregation. Later on in the Philippian letters, in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul made the following strong appeal. He said, I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Evidently, these two ladies were upset with one another and they were very publicly disagreeing with one another. We don't know what the disagreement was really about, but evidently this feud was widely known in the Philippian church. 
Sadly, these two women had worked side by side with Paul when he was pastoring this congregation and were likely, they were very solid, mature Christians. And as always happens, this hostility was affecting others in the body. In the verse immediately after the ones that we studied this morning, Philippians 2 verse 14, notice what Paul commands his friends. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This was Paul's immediate thought after educating the Philippians about their work and God's work in the sanctification process. And evidently, as a result of this very public dispute between these two prominent believers... Folks in the Philippian church were taking sides. They were, they were quietly voicing displeasure and discontent, which is the meaning of the grumbling word in this passage. These believers were also publicly arguing about differences of opinion, which is the meaning of the disputing word in this passage. And as a result the joy of this body of believers had vanished. Evidenced by Paul exhorting them three different times to rejoice in the Lord. As part of resolving this problem, right before this morning's text that we looked at, In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul exhorted his Philippian brothers and sisters about their attitudes. He said this, he said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You see the conflicts that the Philippians were having, revealed their selfish and proud hearts. And in verses 5 through 8, Paul reminds these believers of the humble servant example that they were to follow, that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've already looked at that passage. Our work in sanctification, and more specifically, our sanctifying obedience, demands that we do the same thing here at RBC. Conflict will inevitably happen in our church because it's full of imperfect human beings, myself being a prime example. And these conflicts, they've got to be dealt with biblically when they arise. Grumbling and disputing cannot happen and be allowed to occur in our midst. Now, when conflict occurs, per what the scriptures teach, we must go to the people with whom we have disagreements and seek understanding and ultimately resolution of those things. And like Paul exhorted the Philippians, we must lovingly come alongside disputing believers and to help them resolve their differences. We have to do that. In summary, referring to your message outline, sanctifying obedience demands that we 
resolve conflict and humbly serve one another. The second application in this passage flows right out of the text. Referring to your message outline, sanctification requires that we internalize the truths of the scriptures so that we might obey them. The word of God is very clear on the relationship between internalizing truth and our transformation into Christ's likeness. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul commands the Roman Christians this. He says, do not be, tran- do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're transformed as we are continually renewing our minds with the truth of God's word. These truths are what the Spirit of God uses to change our hearts so that, such that we will obey His will. Consequently, sanctification is greatly slowed or even brought to a grinding halt if a person is not meditating on and internalizing the truths of Scripture. Scripture meditation and memorization is a critical part of this as well. And in the context of sanctifying obedience that Paul commands, we need to know what our Lord calls us to obey. The third application of this passage flows from the reality that a heart of reverent awe towards the Lord and consequently sanctification is birthed and nurtured as we live in loving fellowship with Him. Paul very clearly expresses this connection between our relationship with the Lord and sanctification in his prayer for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Now, in verse 16, Paul prays that the Father would grant the Ephesians strengthening power through the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, we learn what the object of that strengthening power is. That the Ephesians would live in a dwelling, intimate, communion relationship with Christ. And in the context of that dwelling relationship, Paul prays that the Ephesians would grasp how vast Christ's love is for them. That's in verse 18. And then experience the vastness of that love. That's in the first part of verse 19. In all of this, so that they might be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's at the very end of verse 19. Now, if you have been filled up to all the fullness of God, you indeed are godly or sanctified. So in Paul's mind, there was this direct connection between living in daily, loving, dwelling communion with our Lord and being sanctified. We nurture this dwelling relationship as we, as we listen to our Lord as He speaks to us 
through this book, the pages of this book, and also as we respond back in constant prayer all day long to Him. Relationship grows as loving communication flows. Referring to your message outline, sanctification is accelerated as we live in loving communion with our Lord. And the final application of Philippians 2, 12 and 13 also flows right out of the passage that we looked at this morning. As we were reminded this morning, our Lord makes a couple of very precious promises to us. He promises that He will continually work in our desires and resolves such that we will grow in natural, loving obedience. Our Lord also promised that He would continually work in growing our obedient actions. But we must choose to believe these promises by faith, even when we're tempted to doubt or not feel like they're true. You see, our Lord has promised, and He cannot lie. And because of this, believers can share Paul's confidence, which he expressed right at the very beginning of the Philippian letter, when he said this, he said, I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So in light of this truth, this one up here, and the promise of Philippians 2.13, referring to your message outline, sanctification requires that we trust that the promises of this passage are absolutely true. He who made these promises is utterly faithful, and he will bring them to pass. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have not only justified us by your immeasurable grace, but because of this same grace and your immense love, you are committed to progressively sanctifying us in this lifetime. Lord, strengthen us to do our work in the sanctification process. And at the same time, Lord, strengthen us to rejoice and trust you completely to do your work in the process as well. We praise you and thank you that you are faithful and that you will complete this work of transforming us until you return. All glory to you, our Lord, in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www. .ranchobaptistchurch.org That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.